if I was to give this um, a title, um, I've called it A Reward Worth Waiting For. A Reward Worth Waiting For. Not, it's a very uh, straightforward uh, plan, so I've not um, put it on the, on the screen. Um, now, I don't know whether anybody uh, watches um, the programme Long Lost Families or Long Lost Family. Can't stand it myself. I think it gives a very poor view of adoption. Um, and um, so I'm not in favour of it myself. But it was on in the background. Um, and it was, uh, this chap was speaking who'd been ad adopted and he was talking about his uh, adoptive father. And he said that he was, he was frightened of him. He said he, was, he did as he was told, that he didn't love him, but he did as he was told, uh, because he was frightened of the consequences of not obeying. Um, he also obeyed him because he thought that's what a son should do to his father. And also, he wanted to be seen by others, by family, friends, etc., as a dutiful son. He wanted to impress other people that he, he, he did do as is told. But there was no love towards him whatsoever. Now we're looking at chapter 6 and in the first 18 verses, um, if I counted them up rightly, uh, 10 times father, the word father is mentioned. And as we go through these verses we'll see that our relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's been said many times, this Sermon on the Mount is addressed to believers, although unbelievers would have, have heard it and would have been challenged by it, that as Christians, as believers, we have a personal relationship with God our Father. It's our obedience is through love. It's motivated by love. It's, it's heart felt. It's motivated by a love for God and a desire to please our God. And of course, that, as we put in our prayer really, that heart change, that desire can only be made and achieved through God's saving grace. It can only be done by being in Christ and Christ dwelling in us. But that's an introduction. But what's, um, this is, we're going to look at this morning is um, these verses, these first four verses of chapter six. And I've, I've divided them into to sort of three headings. First of all, two apparent, only apparent contradictions. Secondly, we're going to look at two hearts. And then lastly, we're going to look at two Rewards. So two apparent con contradictions, two hearts and two rewards. Well, let's start with the apparent contradiction. If you look at um, chapter 5, uh, verse 16, that we've just been studying, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then we read in our first verse the general principle that's been laid down here is take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, or your righteousness before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. They appear to be, you know, it's telling us to, to, to do things 
for um, you know to, to not do things in in in, in secret in uh, chapter five, and then it's saying that we 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 should be um, we shouldn't be doing them to be seen by men. But it is his only a superficial contradiction. What these verses are saying is that Christians Christians are to live their life in such a way that when people see us and, and our lives, that they will glorify God. We, our motivation must not be to do things to attract attention to ourselves. Um, I saw a quote uh, anon, uh, and it says, A hypocrite is a man who lets his light so shine before men that they can't tell what is going on behind. And that verse in chapter 5 says that we must do all things with the aim of witnessing to God and to his, um, his love. Well, it's, it's a balance, isn't it, to be achieved? And we can see straight away that it's, 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 it's very difficult. I mean, history is, has, has, um, has been littered with, with pe- people like the Pharisees who, who broadcast their good deeds. The, you couldn't imagine, imagine that they would do them unless they knew that they had an audience. And then you've got people who've been conscious of that and have gone to the other extreme and have hidden themselves away in a, a nunnery or a monastery uh, so that they won't be seen, nothing will be get seen at all. Uh, what we're going to look at this morning is how do we get that balance? Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, in his, his book on the, the second volume of uh, Sermon on the Mount, quite rightly says that these verses are searching and painful. To quote him, he says, there is no chapter which is more calculated to promote self-humbling than this particular one. No chapter which is more calculated to prevent self, promote self-humbling, promote self-humbling than this particular one. So let's uh, consider these verses. We've set down the principle, haven't we, in verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your righteousness before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And in these next three verses that I've read, um, the illustration that's used is in doing good deeds, doing good works. Um, I think uh, Graham's um, carrying on from that, and he's going to be going up to verse 18. I want to give you a shock, verse 18. Uh, And that same principle in verse 1 and it's um, applied to prayer and fasting. But we're going to look at at good work. So let's move on to our second point. We've looked at two apparent contradictions, and they're only superficial. They're not there at all. But we've got to get that balance right. So let's have a look. So the second part, we're going to look at two hearts. What are the two hearts that are being described here in verse 2? Um, It's the heart of a hypocrite. Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Now, whether they actually did this, or whether this was just um, an an illustration, uh, people are are uncertain. Um, But one of the hearts is the heart of a hypocrite. And the other heart 
is the heart of a godly man or woman, the heart of a Christian disciple. So let's have a look at, first of all, in the two hearts, the first heart, the heart of a hypocrite. Um, Mahatma Gandhi, always good for a quote, um, says there's nothing worse than being something on the outside that you are not on the inside. And we'd, we'd, we'd have to agree with that, wouldn't we? Now, the word hypocrite is from the Greek and it means an actor, somebody who puts on a show, puts on a performance. And the first thing we always ask ourselves is, are we putting on a show are we putting on the performance? Or what people see is what we are really like. Um, a local, um, made me think of a, a local actor who died in his early 60s, um, Peter Pothelwaite. Some of you may have heard of him, Peter Pothelwaite. Uh, very m- instrumental with The Everyman, setting up The Everyman. And I saw him in uh, a couple of things within about a week he, he played in this film called Distant Voices Still Lives, an abusive, terrifying husband and father. It was, it was so frightening to watch him. And at the end of the week, I went to see him at the Everyman playing King Lear. And if you're familiar with the, the play of King Lear, he, King Lear, at the stage in life he is, comes over as a vulnerable old man, um, very much a victim of, of uh, cruelty, and evil designs going around him. And you wouldn't believe that it was the same person who was playing these completely different parts. But of course he was an actor. Yeah, that's what he was doing, he was putting on an act, putting on a performance. But that's people who are paid to do that. What about people, what about us in everyday life? Do we put on an act? Why? Perhaps do people put on an act? Well, it says it in verse 2, doesn't it? Verse 2, that they may have glory from men. Put on an act to draw attention to themselves. To impress other people. For people to think good of them. And perhaps spend their life in a way, trying to impress people. It's not that they're thinking about doing good necessarily for the, for the people they're doing it for, but it's to draw attention to themselves and make people think good of them. Now, if you go into a bookshop, um, say go to Waterstones in, in the town, you'll see in a section rows of books on self-help. I suppose it's a sign of the self-obsessed society. There's books on dieting, keeping fit, keeping uh, mentally well. You know, there's so many of them. They, 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 they seem to be coming out, I'm sure, every week. Now, what I was brought up in my unconverted youth in the 50s and 60s, and there were only two particular books that I can remember that were self-help. Some of you older people might remember them. One of them was by Charles Atlas. You too can have a body like mine. And it started off in saying, um, are you getting fed up of having sand kicked in your face? And it was, you know, how to get strong, how to have a toad body. 
Now, obviously, looking at me here, obviously, I didn't take that book off the shelf. But another one that was very popular was by a fellow called Dale Carnegie. And it was How to Make Friends and Influence People. And I believe you can still buy it if uh, you're that way inclined. And he starts off in his, his introduction, his foreword, saying, and he's spot on here, he says, the greatest urge is the desire to feel important. And he was right in the 50s, and he's right today, that many people, those people want to feel important. They want to feel something. In uh, John chapter 12, verse 43, it says that Pharisees love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They desire the praise of men. And if no one's watching me doing it, and that's what the, the book apparently is sort of saying, is how you get an audience. How do you look for an audience to, to, to impress them and to do things? If, if there's no audience, I'm not doing it. Um, it's an act. And I suppose, to go back to the example, if you're turned up uh, as a, for a play, acting in a play, and there was no audience, you'd pack up and go home, wouldn't you? The similarity. The hypocrite is looking for an audience, somebody to impress, somebody to please. So that's the first heart, two hearts. The second is the heart of a Christian disciple. What is it like? Well, again, these verses spell it out quite, quite succinctly. First of all, Christian disciple does not, unlike the hypocrite, does not seek the approval of men, but God alone. It's not concerned with plaudits, what others think. God's approval is all important. It's seeking to please God and God alone, not what other people think. And secondly, a second aspect of a heart that seeks to please God is that they're aware that God sees all things. Verse 4, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Your father who sees in secret. The old... Um, Spiritual used to say, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody but my Jesus. And it's one of the most profound truths in scripture. And as believers, we need to fully grasp that truth. It's crucial to our growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, um, such a good example is Joseph in Potiphar's house and his wife, is making strenuous efforts to try and seduce him. How did he stay faithful? He must have felt very lonely. Hormones must have been raging. Terrible temptation. But he, God helped him overcome that temptation, despite the, what happened afterwards. Helped him to overcome because he made Joseph realise, and he says it, doesn't he? 
that God sees all things. God sees what is happening. So a heart of a Christian disciple doesn't seek the approval of men, but God alone. And is aware that God sees all things, even things in secret, even things that you do. We've talked about before that if a hypocrite's looking for an audience, even if there's no audience, you do it because you know that God sees you and God approves of what you do. It's not easy. No, it's not that an unbeliever has the heart of a hypocrite, it does, but, but the Christian has a complete heart of a Christian disciple. Nobody sitting here this morning will know that that's the case. And just a couple of examples to demonstrate that. One of them is from uh, R.C. Kendall in his church. And he said he, in his church, he had a, um, one of the churches that he was in, um, a member of the church who was very well respected to preach regularly, led prayer meetings, etc. And he came to him uh, one evening and said, look, um, I'm going to, because um, I think there were some problems with the fabric of the building, said, I want to give so much money to uh, the building fund. And Artie Kendall said, oh, I'm really excited about that. He said, but there's just one condition. I want you to put a plaque on the wall to say that I have contributed to the building fund. And he said he was so depressed by that, he turned him down. You know, this was a man, in many ways, a godly man, but showed a demonstration of that, having that bit of heart of uh, the hypocrite, wanted it to be known. Didn't want to just give it and nobody find out that, uh, where the money had come from, but he wanted it uh, broadcasted by way of this plaque on the wall. And then another example, uh, which is a personal one, uh, and I um, mentioned before about uh, adoption. I actually, uh, one of the things I do is I, I chair an adoption panel, and suddenly, as I only speak to a few days before, the person who all the time that I've done it, who took the minutes, she died suddenly during the night. And um, the, the advisor of the panel sent round this um, through PayPal, making a contribution, you all know these things, um, to, to the collection. Anyway, it, it, the email came to me and um, after about a few days, there was only a couple of people who had signed up for it and made a contribution. And um, so I made a, a contribution, and it says a, a, a little, it says, do you want to remain anonymous? Now, I should have. But I thought to myself, um, if, if they see that the person who chairs the panel has actually contributed, and uh, that, that it might encourage other people to contribute. Or, conversely, if they see... That, um, that I haven't contributed, apart from thinking, God, he's tight, isn't he? Um, they might not feel any encouragement to do it. So, I, so I, I, I didn't take that to remain anonymous. But I, I kept thinking, I thought afterwards, I thought, am I, I'm just being, am I just doing this to impress people, you know, that I have contributed? Um, so it's, it's, 
it's not an easy situation. It's often described, these verses, about having the heart of a person who only seeks to please God, is that it's an ever-present danger that, as believers, that the mot- that impure motivation of what being a wanting to please others or impress others is a subtle invasion. It's an ever, almost a spiritual disease that is never far from us as believers. I mean, we have such a perfect example in the Lord Jesus Christ who only ever sought to please the Father at all times. Not the approval of men or women, but only the approval of his Father. And we see that um, in the accounts of the Gospels. So, given that it's an ever-present danger, it's a, a difficult thing to do, to have that heart, that true heart of a Christian disciple. How can we cultivate it? How can we have a heart that seeks God's approval, God's pleasure alone and not the approval of others and not what others think? Well, the answer is in verse 3. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It seems impossible, doesn't it, if I pick up this glasses case, you know, the other hand knows that I've, I've done that. You know, what does it possibly mean? But what it means is that when we do something, uh, do some good work, something good, some help, something helpful, something generous, as believers, as believers who are seeking a heart that seeks to please God alone, we should not dwell on it. What I mean by that is that we shouldn't be thinking to ourselves, uh, oh, I've done okay there, haven't I? Or we shouldn't be trying to engineer facts to, 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 to get people to find out what good we've done and what we've done that's, uh, um, you know, that people are going to be impressed by. Um, in other words, to use that parlance, we shouldn't be giving ourselves a pat on the back. Now, giving yourself a pat on the back is physically very hard, but mentally it's extremely easy. When we do something, it's easy for us to um, not forget about it, to think about it or, or add it to our build-up of what the sort of person we think the type of person that we think that we are. What this verse is saying, really, is that when we do something, by one hand not knowing what the other hand is doing, we should keep it even a secret from ourselves. That's what that meaning is hard, because it's once you start thinking about it or angling for compliments or, or somehow, somehow secretly letting other people know or letting it drop into the conversation, however you want to do it, that self-consciousness can quickly become self-righteousness. So that's the, the, the answer. It's not easy. We need to seek the power of the Holy Spirit 
in order to do that. But if we do things, we, we don't dwell on them. We don't sort of think, oh, not too bad, am I? You know, did well there. And, um, and, and, uh, and you know, if you do something and uh, you don't, as I said, engineer the conversation with somebody so, so that they mention, oh, yeah, you know, you did very well there. Now, of course, unbelievers, they cannot please God unless they repent. They've got to get that position of um, having their sins forgiven and have their relationship with God um, made. But for believers, if we must seek a pattern, first of all, of doing good works, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, seek to please God alone, and that that should be enough for us. That's the key to it, that God's approval should be the first and the last thing that concerns us. That should be everything to us. It doesn't matter if... Um, uh, People never find out. I mentioned the example of Joseph, and I often think about Joseph. You know, he didn't go out trying to vindicate himself over Potiphar's wife, but as far as Scripture is concerned, um, nobody knew the truth that he hadn't. You know, he hadn't um, made the first move with Potiphar's wife. He hadn't sought to uh, um, to be with her, but he God he knew that God knew that he was in God's presence and God's approval was all that was matter. And if you look again at verse 2, it says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, there's the assumption there, isn't there, that, that in our Christian lives that we do, that marks us out, that we do do good works. And perhaps sometimes we need to challenge ourselves in that, you know, are we Christians who are noted for doing good works. Not, not for the approval of others, but purely to please our God and to be approved by God. So that's the two hearts. Lastly, I want to look at the two rewards. Now, what these verses are saying is that everybody, everybody who has walked on this earth will receive a reward. So that includes those who are believers and those who are not Christians. Everybody who has ever lived will receive an, um, a reward. In respect of unbelievers, they may have spent their life on and off or consistently crafting a reputation based on the approval of others, uh, famous people with an eye to their obituary, only wish that they were there to read it. They've spent their time seeking to bask in that warm glow of, of approval of their family, their friends, depending on how well they're known, and that warm glow which will keep them going. Um, and that warm glow that sadly um, prevents them from repenting as a sinner because they think they're, they're doing well because of other people who are impressed by them. They think that they can spend their lives 
and perhaps be rewarded with an OBE, knighthood, thousand likes on Facebook, um, respect within their family or in their neighbourhood, success in their job, money, rewards that earth can offer. What this says is that they will get rewards. They will get rewards. But that's the only reward they'll get is the reward that they're getting on earth. It says in verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They'll get a reward. People will get a reward, believers, but that's the only reward that they'll get. So that's unbelievers, the reward that they will get if they remain in their sins. But what about believers? Now, verses 1 and verses 4 say that, um, well, talk about a reward in heaven. Verse 4, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. A reward in heaven. Now, the important thing is the word in heaven. You don't get a reward of heaven. That's the difference between reward and salvation. What, what, what Jesus is speaking about here is, which is the reward earned by those who are already saved freely by the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are already saved and what these, verses, what these verses say, and other verses in Scripture, is that there will be differing rewards for believers in heaven. Now, people struggle with this, but Scripture is very, very clear on this. It says all our works are going to be judged, whether it's wood or hay, or stubble or silver. Verse, in chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels and then he will reward each according to his works. And the parable of the talents supports that of differing rewards. And Paul, um, if we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. 
There will be differing rewards for believers in heaven. So as we consider these verses, we've considered the two hearts, the heart of the hypocrite, the heart of the Christian disciple who seeks to please God, please, alone, please God alone, not the, the plaudits of, of, of others. But we've seen these verses show that um, it's, it's an area where as believers we, we, we do fall and we need to constantly repent and ask for Jesus' forgiveness. We've considered the two rewards. Much of the Sermon on the Mount is concerned about the, the inside, the interior life of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, what we've been looking at in previous weeks and in coming weeks demonstrates that God's word cuts through our pretense. It cuts, cuts through our wrong attitudes, um, our wrong desires, our wrong emphasis. It shows us up, doesn't it, for what we truly are. But these verses don't just open us up, but they show how we can be healed through the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows how we can grow in Christ and in this specific case. It shows us how we can daily be able to have a heart that seeks to please God and God alone. So let us abound in good works. That's a command there. Seeking not the approval of men, but the reward of God, who sees all things and will reward you in heaven. Amen.